How often do I think the discipline is going to end in something worse for me? And if I can vent my bitterness and get people to agree with me, that's where the peace is. And so I love that that's all in the same passage, that I want the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And the Lord knows the best way and what's best for my soul. I don't just need to feel better. I need the truth. And ultimately, that will make me better. I just want to make it as simple as possible for ladies to see that the Bible is really applicable to their everyday life. When they understand theology, the application flows out of it quickly with joy. It is a journey, but even the journey itself is joyful when I'm doing it, holding the hand of my Savior and trusting Him all along the way. This is the Joyful Journey Podcast, a podcast to inspire and equip women to passionately pursue beautiful biblical truth on their journey as women of God. When you choose truth, you're choosing joy. Today, Jocelyn and I are joined by our senior pastor, Steve Byers. There are so many topics that we could talk to Mm -hmm. him about, but I know most recently I've had the opportunity to read his book on overcoming bitterness. And I know Jocelyn, in addition, you've also listened to some sessions he's done on that that were very helpful to us. So we've asked him to come and share with us today on the topic of bitterness, which we can all relate to, but we all wish we couldn't. Mm So maybe if you can just get us started, tell us a little bit about who you are, your family, and what your main ministries are. Well, and I just want to say, Janet and Jocelyn, both of you, I'm so glad for what the Lord is doing through this podcast and what the Lord is doing through your ministries. And we have so many godly women in our church and counseling ministry who the Lord is just blessing in all sorts of ways. And I could not be more excited about it. So thanks for allowing me to be part of the podcast. Thank you. So my wife and I, Chris, have been married nearly 40 years now, and I'm very, very thankful for that pending anniversary here in about a month, also finishing up 35 years at Faith Church. And, you know, I think back to Bible college where there were two burning questions in my heart when I was in college. Is there a church on the face of the earth that (laughs) would be willing to hire me, and is there a woman on the face of the earth that would be willing to marry me? Look at what you got, both um, of them. Absolutely, and for that long, and honestly, that's just, those milestones are a demonstration of the grace of God, for sure. The Lord's blessed us with three children, so our daughter Bethany and their family with two of our grandsons live up in Minnesota, then our daughter Karis and her husband and three grandchildren now, two grandsons and little Lucy Grace, <laughs> live here in town. Then our son Andrew, who um, has special needs, who's 29 years old now and who lives with Chris and me and will until we're unable to care for him any longer. And so the Lord's given us a delightful family. These are days, as the psalmist said, where my lines have fallen in pleasant places. Mm. And I'm very, very thankful. Cool. So today we're talking about bitterness, and you've written a book called Overcoming Bitterness, which we're going to refer to in our show notes. We encourage you to get that and read it. But we're interested to know what caused you or encouraged you to study this topic and then to write about it. Well, I think there's several reasons. One is just personally. What I just said a moment ago is very true. I am very, very thankful to serve as the pastor of Faith Church. I very much am living my dream, and so I have a hundred reasons to be thankful for every reason I don't. But I do have the reasons I don't. And whenever you stay at the same place for a long, long time, there are some distasteful aspects of it. And, you know, I 
can hardly go to the grocery store, hardly go to... Um, in fact, this actually happened to me at the post office today where you run into a former member of the church who left because he or she was disgruntled or somebody who's upset at you about whatever. And it is possible for even... A, I'm ashamed to say it, but it is the truth. I can focus on negative and I can become a bitter pastor. Mm. And those are words that really should not be used in the same sentence, a bitter pastor. I don't want to be a bitter pastor. Mm -hmm. I do not want to be a sinfully bitter pastor. That's not worthy of my calling. It's not worthy of my Lord. It's not worthy of our church. And so honestly, like a lot of things I do, it starts with, Steve, you better figure out what the Word of God has to say about this, and you better work very, very hard in the power of the Holy Spirit of applying it to your own heart and life. Then secondly, I have seen it as a theme in counseling cases, mm -hmm. yeah. and not that a person says on their personal data inventory, the sheet that they fill out <laughs> when they come woman. into. Exactly. <laughs> help me. I'm here because I'm bitter, and I really want you to help me with that. But as you start working on what we in counseling refer to as the presentation problem, what it is that brought them in the room, it's often apparent as you get to know that person that, you know, there's bitterness as part of this story. And sometimes you have to push the pause button on whatever it was that you were dealing with in order to address bitterness, or that almost becomes like a logjam. You're not going to get much else done in the sanctification process until this is addressed. And mm -hmm. praise God for the sufficient scripture. There's so much to learn there. Mm -hmm that oftentimes that does become the logjam that is broken up, again, by the power of God's Word, and that facilitates growth in other areas as well. So those are the reasons. I mean, I needed it, mm -hmm. my counselees need it, and God has spoken very clearly and helpfully on it. Well, we're glad it's written. Well, I'm pretty sure we need it, and our listeners need <laughs> yes. it as well. Very much. But I do think it's important for you to help us understand what bitterness is, mm -hmm. because I think we can use that word and we might be talking about different things. So what would you even say are some common misperceptions, but what is bitterness? Yeah, you know, this is one of the things I love about the Word of God is that the word groups that are translated with uh, English words bitter, they're just so picturesque. Mm. God loves us in so many different ways, but one of them is to use terminology that grabs our attention. Mm -hmm. And so that's true both of the Hebrew word group Mara, the Greek word group in the New Testament, Pikria, a term that literally means, one Old Testament um, Bible dictionary defines the word group as the putrid poisonous bile from the gallbladder. And, Picturesque. Um, it, wow. Yeah, if that doesn't get your attention, right, I don't know what might. It and certainly makes me not want to be bitter. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want any of that in your soul. Yeah, gross. <laughs> and, you know, one of the definitions I used in the book, just an English definition, feeling angry, hurt, or resentful because of one's bad experiences or a sense of unjust treatment, perhaps that gets at it as well. I've often thought of it just as fermented anger. Hmm. Um, oh, that's that's you know, interesting. Yeah. God gives us anger as a emotion intended to help us solve problems biblically and intended to help us solve problems today. Well, if I don't use it in a timely fashion, it's highly likely that it's going to turn into bitterness. And so, you know, we're here in Indiana in the late summer. It's about time for the apple crop to come on. And many of us in this part of the country, we love going to the apple orchard. We love yes. getting fresh, squeezed apple cider. I, I absolutely love it. 
I realize that many of your listeners are ladies. I probably shouldn't acknowledge this, but I really do believe on a hot summer day when you've been working hard outside and you're about to die of thirst, okay? We're seconds (laughs) from death that it's perfectly appropriate and biblically correct to reach into the the refrigerator after you've checked to be sure your wife is not present and just grab that jug oh, and gross. tick it up, right? I tip it up. And see, Jocelyn, you I said gross. I wondered where this was going. Well, it's, it's gross because if you and your family come to dinner at our house later, I would serve it. I would serve you out of the same container. So this I would go, feel loved. But, but anyway, anyway, it, 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 it's, it's great unless, unless, unless you've had that apple cider in the back of your fridge for about a month or six weeks. And I'm not going to acknowledge whether or not I know this by experience, (laughs) but if you do what I just described and you get fermented apple cider, where now it's putrid, I mean, you're spitting that stuff out. And and that's really what we're talking about here. And again, God loves us so much that he chose a word group that grabs your attention like that. That's what bitterness is. It's fermented anger. So how can we understand the difference between bitter circumstances and becoming a bitter person? Well, and that's a big part of what um, God's Word reveals about all of this. And that's why we're not behaviorists as biblical counselors or as biblical Christians. So the answer from Scripture is not, hey, stop being bitter. (laughs) Now, on the one hand, the Bible does talk about bitter behavior. Mm -hmm. No question about that. I think that's the focus in a seminal passage like Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all anger and wrath and bitterness and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you along with all malice. I do believe that's talking about bitter behavior. The book of James talks about bitter speech. The book of James also talks about bitterness and envy. So there's no question about the fact that we have to and we're commanded to avoid bitter behavior, but that is not the first thing that the Bible says about this. I think the first thing Scripture says is that there's such a thing as bitter circumstances. So if anybody is saying, I just don't have any bitterness in my life, I don't think that's true. Yeah. yeah. Because if Scripture says that there's such a thing as bitter circumstances in this sin-cursed world in which we live, we're all going to face mm-hmm. bitter circumstances. Right. And so you think about Hannah, you know, Samuel's mother, who is struggling with infertility. And I realize even when I would raise that topic on a podcast like this, I'm sure there will be ladies who will eventually listen to this. They know that personally and can, can relate to Hannah. And so she's crying out to the Lord. And what the Bible tells us about that is that her rival, Penina, would tease her about being infertile and would do it in a bitter fashion. And so as a result, Hannah would weep bitterly. Well, obviously that's not something that Hannah did. That was a condition that Hannah faced. And I love the fact that the Bible is very clear in using the same word group, Mara, to describe the circumstances that she faced. Another example is with the children of Israel. When the Egyptians wanted to even intensify their enslavement, what Scripture says about that is that they treated them bitterly. Well, I can imagine people listening to this podcast, Mm -hmm. and they're in work situations right now where the way their boss talks with them or the way a coworker treats them, it's bitter. Mm -hmm. Day after day after day, it's like having a bitter food in your mouth. And so 
Scripture teaches us that we all face bitter circumstances. Well, then the question becomes, well, if on the one hand, the sovereign God is allowing me to face circumstances that are bitter, it's mistreatment, yet on the other hand, I'm commanded not to be a bitter person in my behavior, then what's the linkage? What's the segue? And that's where I think we find the third category of bitterness, and and one of the most important issues is in Proverbs 14.10, which says, the heart knows its own bitterness. That's the playing field on where this battle is going to be waged, is how am I responding to bitter circumstances that we all have in my heart? Mm -hmm. And if I take one particular approach I can actually find joy. Mm -hmm. I can actually find, even in the midst of bitter circumstances, greater opportunities to become more like Jesus Christ. There is growth in bitter circumstances, and if that's not true, then our sovereign God who allows them is being unjust and unkind. So there is growth. There's Mm -hmm. positive sanctification that can happen there. But if I don't choose to relate to bitter circumstances in my heart in a biblical, godly way, that will produce bitter behavior, and I will eventually become a bitter person. And there are people that we all know, Mm -hmm. bitterness is their name. Right. Bitterness is a word that defines them. And what happened is, and I feel badly because, you know, I've spent my life, my ministry with individuals many times who are suffering, and I don't want to in any way minimize the significance of their suffering but they did not respond to that suffering in a way that was best for them or most honoring to God. Mm -hmm. And here's the other piece of that. That can change. So even the person who would say, bitterness is my name, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to end there. That's the hope in this conversation. What I think is also so hopeful, because I think for many of us, we can get those two things confused. I have bitter circumstances, and then my goal is I need to get out of those. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I, then I won't feel so bitter mm-hmm. if I can just get out of them. And what I'm hearing you say is, and certainly, if we can get out of bitter circumstances in ways that are righteous, mm-hmm. well, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we, yeah. But I can be in a bitter circumstance, and that's not sinful that I'm in that on me. I'm not sinning. Yeah. That was so freeing. Yeah. The first time I realized that just because I'm in bitter circumstances does not mean I am sinfully being bitter. It was yeah. very freeing to be able to say, just acknowledge the reality, the situation. This is a very bitter situation that we're in. It's very difficult. Yeah. And to acknowledge God's doing big things in the middle of it, but they're very uncomfortable. And now my responsibility is what's going to happen in my heart. I don't need to make it my first goal to get out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where the topic of lament comes into this conversation. Yeah. You know, I love Mark Vrogop's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, it's a book on biblical lament. Yes. It was very, very instructive and helpful to me. And I, Mark's a friend of mine. He pastors about an hour from here down in Indianapolis. And I asked for his permission to quote extensively from his book in one of my chapters and then to recommend it. And, you know, one of the things that Mark observes is that a full one-third of our psalms are lament psalms. Yeah. It's pretty amazing when you're thinking psalms. Those are that's our worship mm-hmm. hymnal, right? right? That was the worship hymnal for the children of Israel, and yet a third of them are written in the minor key. And so what that must mean is it's possible to process bitter circumstances authentically. Mm-hmm. I don't have to run from the Lord when I'm thinking about bitterness. I can actually run to him. And when you read some of those psalms of lament, 
If it's not complaining, it's awful close. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yet they don't end there. Right. They end in quiet trust, but it's a process. It's just like one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 61, 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Well, I can't know and experience God as my rock without the vulnerability, without the authenticity of saying to the Lord, I, I am having to cry out to you. My heart is overwhelmed here. And that's what we read in the Psalms of Lament. And so what you just said, Janet, is right. If I'm in a situation that's bitter and there's a biblical way for me to respond to that in the sense of seeking some level of relief, absolutely. And that might include biblical confrontation. Sure. It could include all sorts of things. However, if our message is the only way to not be a bitter person is to extract yourself from all bitter circumstances, do you realize how hopeless that mm. is for exactly. many people? Yeah. You know, you think about my son that I mentioned earlier, 29 years old, he is in a body that doesn't see. And if that means he has to be a bitter person unless he can get out of his bitter circumstances, it's hopeless. you have just set mm -hmm. him up for hopelessness, a lifetime of hopelessness for life. And yet, mm -hmm. when, when I leave this podcast, my next appointment is to take him on a chair run. We do that many, many afternoons in our life, and I love it. He has a jogging stroller. He jumps in it. I push him around, and I promise you the sound that will be coming out of that jogging <laughs> stroller is uproarious laughter. No bitterness with, there. No, oh, no bitterness. <laughs> now, there's going to be bitterness for me because he's generally making a joke about how I ought to be going fast or I ought to be doing who knows what he's going to come up with today. But I love the fact that I have a joyful son who is in bitter circumstances that are not going to change in this life. And I think that's incredibly hopeful. I mean, it can sound, I know you said this can be hard to hear, but in reality, many of us are in circumstances that there's not a legitimate end in sight. Yep. Yep. And then to know, I don't have to become bitter just because of that. That's right. And all of us can expect that under the curse of sin on the earth, we're going to have hard stuff. Like, it's going to be a challenging life in some degree. And I think what gives us hope there is none of that is outside of God's sovereign control. Yeah. The more that I believe, like, like I mentioned earlier, running into someone who left our church. <laughs> no, wait a minute. At some level... Our sovereign God allowed that mm -hmm. to happen. Yes. And if I view that circumstance as a gift from him, then what in the world am I doing being bitter about mm -hmm. it? Because he has a purpose. He has a purpose in our church's life. He has a purpose in my life. So I ought not to be bitter about the fact that that happened. And the more I acknowledge his, not just sovereignty, but his fatherly love mm -hmm. for me in the way he exercises his sovereignty, the more I'm going to look for the growth opportunities and the less I'm going to let that anger ferment into the putrid, poisonous bile from the gallbladder. <laughs> I love that idea. And it, sometimes I think our bitter circumstances are the means of making me go vertical and think about God. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I'm not. Yeah. Yep. But I'm in that circumstance, and now I do have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. I'm yep. either going to see the goodness of God and see the growth opportunity or I'm going to get better. There's no just slacking on that, you know. So I think those are a gift from God. And it makes me think about, then what would you say, because I'm hearing you already talk about suffering, how is bitterness then related to suffering? And if we thought more biblically about suffering, 
would that help prevent us from being bitter? Yeah, I think that's what fits into this category of a bitter heart. So the segue between bitter circumstances and a bitter life is how I'm processing it at the level of the heart. So Proverbs 14.10, again, the, the heart knows its own bitterness. I really believe everything that we're trying to say and teach and learn about suffering fits into that category. And everything that we can pack into that. How do I process this episode of bitter circumstances in my heart? My heart that's been transformed by the gospel. My heart that has access to the power of the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit. So it's not a human thing here. It's very much of a divine interaction. But everything we're learning about suffering, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about the biblical counseling movement. By God's grace, we're learning more and more about suffering. We're teaching more and more about suffering. But the Bible's a big book. So this is an ongoing quest to mine everything that we can from the Word of God about suffering, but it does fit right into this category of a bitter heart or mm-hmm. not. I've been reflecting a lot on Philippians 3, 8 through 11 lately, and how everything is a loss compared to the value of mm-hmm. knowing and loving Jesus and being one with Him. And I'm telling you, the things that have made me know Jesus are the things that are hard. And so... If we believe the scripture in Philippians 3, we're saying like even hard circumstances and things that are bitter circumstances, if we see them rightly, they'll help us to know Jesus better and to love him more and to be more united with him and not the opposite, which would be being angry at everything that he's allowing and upset that our life has gotten more difficult. It helps me to see this is about knowing Jesus more. Well, what's interesting about that particular text is, you know, Paul has been talking about all of the reasons he had to brag. And so that if there's any of our listeners who are saying, well, look, I don't have any bitterness, man. Things are going great. This is going good. This is going good. This is going good. <laughs> well, that might be setting you up for a lack of sanctification as well. Mm-hmm. And so we have to count all things as loss, whether I'm talking about the good things mm-hmm. I'm bringing to the table, whether I'm talking about the bad things I'm bringing to the table. My righteousness is in him. That's the beauty of that passage. I want to be found in him and in his righteousness alone. And then he can help me continue to pursue Christ-likeness, whether it's a bitter circumstance or it's a joyful circumstance that I might be tempted to become proud about in and of my own strength. Great point. Hi, friends of Joyful Journey. I wanted to share another podcast resource with you that I believe will be beneficial for you. It's called Biblical Counseling in Action, and it's sponsored by Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries. And no, it doesn't mean you need to be a biblical counselor. If you've been listening to us for any length of time, you know that we're passionate about women understanding and reveling in the truth of God's Word, and we believe it will make a difference in how we live. Well, Biblical Counseling in Action is a podcast that encourages us to see what that looks like no matter what your season of life. Ever wonder what it should look like in your everyday life to live out the principles we've been discussing? I look forward to hearing their bi-weekly episodes and being challenged and encouraged by those who are living out these principles in their churches, workplaces, and communities. We have a link to the podcast in our show notes. So how does understanding the grace of God help in our fight against bitterness? Well, I think every minute I spend being bitter is an affront to the grace of God. Because what I'm saying is, God, your grace is not sufficient. And so that's where, you know, a passage like 2 Corinthians 12 is so very, very helpful because Paul's being vulnerable when he's talking about his thorn in the flesh. Yeah which, by the way, would be a great example of another bitter circumstance. Mm -hmm, For sure, right. It is interesting in that passage that we're never told what the thorn in the flesh Mm -hmm. is. 
And I wonder if, by just the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that was purposely designed for that passage so that it could be applied to a multitude mm-hmm. of circumstances. So we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. We know it's, it's interesting, too. It's a messenger of Satan, that text says. But there's no exorcism. Right, if, you, if there was ever going to be an exorcism in the, in the life of the Apostle Paul, that would <laughs> that have, been have been it. it. <laughs> and no exorcism. So it's interesting that the thorn doesn't get the attention. We don't even know what it is. The role of Satan just gets a quick mention, and he's off the scene. And what Paul says, he says, I asked the Lord three times to remove it. That's vulnerability. Right. That's vulnerability. And there's absolute, that, that goes back to the whole issue of the Psalms of Lament. That was a lament for him to do that. However, uh, Jesus' answer was not, I'm going to remove the thorn. Jesus' answer is, I have something better than removing the thorn. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. So every minute I spend in bitterness about anything, is an expression of my heart that God's grace is not sufficient for me. So that's why it's a battleground. It right. is, my heart is a battleground for whether or not God's grace is going to be sufficient for me in this moment. And if the answer to that is yes, then I have no reason to stew in my crockpot of bitter thinking, <laughs> bitter words, bitter worries, bitter whatever. So those bitter circumstances and then what may be coming out in my bitter heart again, as a mercy from God to see parts of my heart I didn't even know were there. Yep. And then those circumstances reveal them so that then I realize I thought I was living because I just was so grateful for the grace of God, but I'm, apparently there's Turns something else going on yep. as well because <laughs> I'm not responding well right now. Yeah. Well, and you know, we might ask, well, you know, why would God allow those bitter circumstances then to continue? And the answer is that he is making every provision possible for our sanctification. Mm, yes. And he cares more about our sanctification and our holiness than he does about our immediate happiness today. That's how he's different than Santa Claus. <laughs> and praise the Lord that he is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so I should embrace the belief that his grace is going to be sufficient for me. That's a bedrock of this entire conversation. I think you really have to remind yourself of that often when you're in bitter circumstances or you'll quickly forget God's grace is sufficient for this moment right now. Which is part of the beauty of the body of Christ that we get to remind each other. Mm -hmm. Because when the circumstances are screaming, sometimes I don't remember things that I should. And for someone to say, the fatherly love of God is behind this, Mm -hmm. even if you can't see it right now. And also too, that should give hope to any of us who are really struggling with bitterness right now. So if there's somebody listening to this and who would say, I am a bitter person. My words are bitter words. My life is a bitter life. And people recognize me. If they were going to choose five words to describe me, bitter would be one of them. The fact that God loves us enough to continue to allow the difficulty, that's proof that we don't have to stay in the bitterness forever. God hasn't given up on us, and if he's not given up on us, then we should remember that I can change. Mm. I do not have to be a bitter person forever, and not just I can change a little bit, I can change dramatically. I appreciated that from your book, that at the end, thinking about, and I know we don't have time to get into the whole book, but you go through Ruth Mm -hmm. and Naomi, who said, call me bitter, please. And, but then to see in her bitterness, God continued to provide for her, just his love for her, mm-hmm. even while she was bitter, and what that did as she began to see him for who he really was. Yeah, you and know, I love... And changed her. That was such hope. 
I love the book of Ruth. I really loved writing those last four chapters on the book of Ruth because you have Naomi. Naomi's story was hard. Yes. You know, her husband leads her and their two sons away from Bethlehem, which the Bible's silent on whether that was a right decision or not, but it is interesting. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread, and they leave Bethlehem and they go to Moab, and it's during a time of a famine. Yeah. You know, I don't know a whole lot about a famine. I don't know a whole lot about missing a meal. And, um, <laughs> but that's, so I don't want to minimize what they faced. And then the sons marry Moabitess women, and then Naomi's husband dies and her two sons die. And there she is at the end of chapter one. She is a widow with two widowed daughter-in-laws. And then she says to them, go back to your people. And to their gods. That's the key issue in Ruth chapter 1 because you have the Jewish mother-in-law would have been the one that had the greatest access to biblical truth and yet she says to her Moabitess daughters-in-law go back to your people and and to their gods because my God has let me down. Jehovah has, the God of Israel has let me down. And what's fascinating is one daughter-in-law takes her up on that. But Ruth says no. She says, where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Your people will be my people, and most importantly, your God will be my God. Mm. Which is truly amazing. It absolutely is amazing that the person that had the least access to biblical truth, and this is, should be an encouragement to anybody listening to this who's a young believer, the person who had the least access to truth, the person who had believed in Jehovah the shortest amount of time, still made an expression of faith. And so they went back to Bethlehem. And it's interesting, the ladies of the city, that when they saw Naomi, they said, hey, aren't you Naomi? So they didn't recognize her, or they weren't sure. And I do believe that bitterness over time mm-hmm. changes oh, your, yeah. your appearance. I've seen Absolutely. it. I, I really do believe that. And what's really something is that Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. The Hebrew word for bitter. Call mm-hmm. me bitter. And, and then she said, because God led me away full, and he brought me back empty. Now, there's something else about bitterness. It will make a liar out yeah. of us every time. Because yeah. Ruth is l- right there. L- led you away full. Yeah. It was a famine. Yeah. <laughs> Not all that full. And brought you back empty. Yet who is it who's standing right by your side is Sweet Ruth, Mm -hmm. Sweet Ruth. And the fact that that book has more than one chapter is a demonstration of the grace of God. Yes. And it ought to bring incredible hope to us anytime we would say, call me Mara. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with bitterness and there's no way out of this. There's more chapters. Mm -hmm. And you read the rest of that book and you watch the way God provides for Naomi through sweet Ruth. I mean, the book's clear. Naomi sure didn't deserve that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> but, but thank the Lord, he doesn't always give us what we deserve. Mm-hmm. And those ladies are swimming in barley. <laughs> By the time you get to the end of chapter two, there is barley stacked up all over the place. And remember, during a time of famine, you know, yeah. for us, it's like a stack of barley, who cares? If you'd been starving for a long, long period of time, all these big bags of barley, you'd care a whole lot about it. <laughs> and, and, but then... Then there's the provision of the kinsman redeemer. And what I love about that book is at the end, a baby is born to Ruth and Boaz, but who's holding the baby? Mm. 
Naomi's holding the baby. Yeah. In fact, the ladies of the city wanted to know what Naomi was going to name the baby. It's like, well, why, why does Naomi get to name the baby? <laughs> and of course, we all know that that baby was not just any baby. Mm-hmm. That baby was in the line of Christ. That entire book is pointing. It's just a laser beam to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the great provision. Praise God for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, and you just have to picture in chapter four, you got this grandma bouncing this little baby boy on her lap, having a high, let's go have some more barley, <laughs> and um, joyful, right? Yeah. Joy, that's the thing. And that's, a, that's another way of thinking about the book of Ruth. The ice is melting throughout that. Mm. that. That ice of bitterness is melting throughout that book. Praise God for his provision mm-hmm. and his patience with her, but praise God for his provision and his patience with me. Yeah. You don't have to be bitter in your behavior. And it can, it can go backwards. Just like you said, the ice can melt. Yeah. That's so yeah. encouraging. And I think, you know, we talked about being in bitter circumstances. Ruth was obviously in bitter circumstances, mm-hmm. but responded very differently. And I think for those of us, and I appreciate that about the book, looking at both of them, for some, we're the one battling bitterness. For others... We're having to walk next to someone battling mm-hmm. bitterness, and we're so tempted to get bitter ourselves because it's just not fun. Mm-hmm. And yet, how the Lord used Ruth's unwillingness to give in to bitterness and her tenacity to trust God and what that ended up even doing for Naomi. It's just a beautiful picture. Yeah, the last thing the book of Ruth needs is two Naomi's. <laughs> and you could imagine yourself as a young Ruth just being pulled oh. down oh, by yeah. that bitterness day after day after day. And it very well could have ended up with two bitter women. But it's not. It's mm-hmm. not. And it's amazing the one who led the other one. It just, it's absolutely fascinating. And nothing other than a story of God's amazing grace working in and through Ruth's life. And if he could do it for her, and remember something else, that was during the time of the judges. Right, so that's the period of time when there's no king in Israel and everybody is doing that which is right in his own eyes. And what Naomi was as an individual Israel was as a nation. Mm-hmm. For sure. And praise God that he could work through Ruth in a way that had a positive impact on Naomi. So if someone listening to this says, I'm like Ruth, but I'll tell you, my husband is bitter, or my teenager is bitter, or my mother in law is bitter, the answer from Scripture is don't give up. Don't give up and don't fall into the trap of their bitterness. Continue to be a faithful person, continue to be a joyful person, and you just never know. You absolutely never know what the Lord might do, but your faithfulness could have a dramatic impact on somebody else's life who's bitter. Yeah, and in the meantime, what you said earlier, we'll be growing ourselves. Absolutely. So it's not like it's it's a waste unless they change. Yep. Like in the meantime, God's not wasting any mm-hmm. of that in the person's life who's walking next to the bitter person. Well, They're yeah. being refined through it. Yeah, you think about Ruth has said in chapter one that your God will be my God. You even have to wonder what she even meant or even understood mm-hmm. by that. But in the next chapter, she's gleaning. She asked Naomi if she could go glean, which evidences her faith in the Old Testament principle of gleaning. And so there she is gleaning, and who is it, the owner of the field but Boaz, Mm -hmm. who treats her with such incredible grace. And you just, you have to picture Ruth in that moment, Mm -hmm. saying, 
the God of Israel, Jehovah, he is able to bless me and provide for me in ways I would have never. You, you just have to believe yeah. she had a smile on her face. And part of what I love about that story, that part of the story is, you remember, she kept part of the lunch. She didn't eat it all. And who did she take the leftovers home to? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I would I would eaten every last <laughs> bit of that. In fact, when I got home, I would have said to Naomi, we, didn't have, any, we didn't have anything for lunch. Sorry. <laughs> and yet she, that tells you something about her. She wanted not only to see the blessing of God in her heart and life, she wanted to demonstrate that by sharing to bitter Naomi. Old Mara is sitting there sharing her lunch. And that tells you a lot about what God did in and through her. Absolutely. How is bitterness tied to unbelief? So we have an example of Ruth believing in the word. How is it tied to unbelief? Well, you know, that's the other poster child for bitterness, regrettably, is Esau. Yeah. And Hebrews 12 is such an important passage, which is the New Testament commentary on Esau. And what it says about him is that he was a profane man. And when you look at Esau's life, he had the opportunity to sell his birthright or not, and he sold it, which said he didn't care about his place in God's covenant plan. He didn't care about his role in God's overall plan and purpose. He was an unbelieving, profane man who gave in to his lust, right? He comes in mm-hmm. from hunting, and he's, he, he's famished. <laughs> what, what good is my birthright? A typical man. Typical man, right? I'm going to die right now. What good is this birthright? We could say that his brother tricked him and all that. There's a lot of dynamics in that story for sure. But when you get to Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews does not cut Esau any slack at all. Yeah. And so when I'm in the midst of a hard time and I refuse to focus on my role in God's plan in my heart and life right now. Instead, when I give in to my lust, my immediate gratification, I must have this red stuff, so I'm going to become sinfully angry, or I'm going to run to one of my addictions, or whatever it might be, justifying my bitterness in the moment. That's unbelief, Mm. and that's why the writer of Hebrews says, see to it. The Greek word episkopeo, from which we get the word overseer, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. That is a passage that ought to burn in every Uh follower of Jesus's hearts. Um, See to it. Uh We're commanded to do that. And if we don't, it's going to cause trouble. Bitterness never served any of us well. Uh It's going to cause trouble it's going to defile many. So for those of us who are raising kids or grandkids, if we choose to be bitter, we might end up with bitter kids. Mm, yeah. We might end up with bitter grandkids. And, you know, I'm just thinking our grands are coming into town here in about 10 days. I'll have a lot of grandpa time. Mm. Well, am I going to be a joyful, faithful man, regardless of what the little ones bring into my life, or am I going to be a bitter man? Mm-hmm. Yeah defiling many. That's what's at stake here. I can either be a joyful man with my wife, or I can make it easier for her to be bitter. I mean, it just, it's incredible. Think about it as a pastor. Mm-hmm. You realize some pastors are bitter pastors, which is why their church members are comprising a bitter church. I mean, it's right. just amazing how this can spread, and it's an offense to God. Grumpiness is just so contagious. 
You know, just think of people who are bitterly grumpy all the time. Yep. It just spreads. All right. the, and you know what? I think not many of us, like you said, this is serious. Not many of us would say, I'm laser focused on making sure I don't let bitterness yeah. grow. I think we are kind of light on bitterness personally. Like I remember it's myself. understandable. Yeah, like I'd totally. be bitter too if you yeah, would Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I remember one time having a meeting with someone that I really love that was like, Jocelyn, I think you're kind of bitter. I was like, yeah, I have every right to be. Mm-hmm. And it was like, like yep. it's a totally understandable yep sin that we're just going to be kind of smoothing over right right and the sad thing is that it's like a root right so i can either deal with it when it's at the root stage Mm -hmm. or it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and my wife is a master gardener our neighbor was a master gardener too and so they went to those classes together and you could come see the landscaping at our house right now and it looks beautiful and it has nothing to do with me <laughs> but you'll see my wife around dusk just going around to our different flower beds and pulling those little weeds while and they're you know, little and it doesn't take her that long when she does it regularly and when she does it when they're little but she's just forever going around getting the little weeds getting the little weeds getting the li- by the way don't ask me why i don't do that <laughs> i'm praying for her i'm sure and and reading my bible but 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 anyway or caring Drinking for my son watching, to- <laughs> watching her. <laughs> that's what i go for the cider in the refrigerator but um th- that's what scripture says about our bitterness Don't let it become a large root. Don't Mm -hmm. let it become a big plant. Don't let it cause trouble. Don't let it defile others. So it can't be the acceptable sin of Mm -hmm. the church. It has to be something that we take very seriously. So given that, I would imagine others are thinking, and I know I am too, okay, I see areas where I'm either becoming bitter or I'm tempted to be or I already am. What now? What are some ways we can overcome bitterness so that where's the hope? Yeah, well, the battle is always going to be played out at the level of the heart. And so I have to evaluate the, the patterns of thinking that are leading to that bitterness. And as I said before, a lot of times they're just lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have to be willing to look myself in the mirror and say, you're telling yourself lies. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Esau a minute ago. You remember the way he spun the whole story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, my brother <laughs> stole my birthright. No, he didn't. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and by the way, I really believe that when Esau said that to his father, he believed it. Yes. By that yeah. time, I believe he had told himself that lie so many yeah. times that he believed it himself. That's why we need the Word of God. That's why we need other people. to, ha- and, and we need to understand in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to crucify lies, mm-hmm. and I'm going to replace them with biblical truth about my situation, as hard as that might be. Same is true with desires. Because remember, Esau was a profane man because he lusted. He, he had to have his red stuff. He had to have that meal. He had to have it right now. Well, we lust after all sorts of things, yeah, too. Absolutely. Yep. And so we have to acknowledge the desires of the heart that are going unfulfilled and resulting in bitterness, and we have to crucify them. If they are idols in our hearts we have to put them to death and we have to replace them with seeking to desire after our lord and seeking to desire after his will so a lot of it is just simply dealing with wrong thoughts and wrong desires that are producing this kind of behavior and then also being willing to deal with the behavior itself if i'm a person who's speaking bitter words i need to knock it off (laughs) in the power of the holy spirit i need to stop speaking that and i need to speak in a way that honors him it's interesting too that bitterness is often connected to envy in the bible well 
if I'm being envious, I want something that somebody else has, or I'm mad because I, I don't have what they have, I, that's going to produce bitterness. So I've got to knock off that envy. So, so I have to deal with this at the level of the heart. I have to deal with it at the level of yeah. the tongue. I have to deal with it at the level of behavior. But the beauty of it is everything that you put in the place of that is going to be so much sweeter. Mm, right. It's going totally. to be so much sweeter. And that's what you saw happening in Naomi's life. That's why the book has four chapters, and that's where our hope is found as well. I love that. You mentioned that, which is actually sobering and scary to me, that by the time Esau was saying what he was, he believed it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think part of, when I think about in my life, overcoming bitterness, part of it is the humility to realize I may not see something that's there and allowing other people to tell me. You know, I have a sweet friend that just recently contacted me and wanted to get together and then said, so I know something's not right. And I knew that if I just talked to you about what's going on in my life and you asked me questions, you'd help me see it. Hmm. And I think, boy, that level of humility to even say, I don't, and then she even said, and I want to argue back (laughs) that it's not true. Yep. But I know you're right. And so what a privilege. And am I allowing people to do that in Mm -hmm. my life? Because it's sobering to me that I could get to the point, if I don't deal with it quickly, where I believe it so much that it's even harder to repent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the worst things that a bitter person can do is to surround themselves with bitter people who will just agree with everything they say. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, your bitterness is justified. Now tell me all the reasons my bitterness is Mm -hmm. justified. And it just is this downward spiral of lies. That's what it is. And so that's the beauty of the church, in part, if we're functioning biblically, is speaking the truth in love. And sometimes that involves confrontation, which is exactly what I need if I'm not seeing something truthfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. How does Jesus's life and example help us to fight becoming bitter people? Well, you know, we've alluded to Hebrews chapter 12 a couple of times. It is interesting that that passage begins with a conversation about Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, you have, when you think about Hebrews, you think you have the Faith Hall of Fame, all of the marvelous stories of men and women who were so faithful in chapter 11. Then you have the beginning in chapter 12 of, because we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. And then we're looking unto Jesus. If there was ever a human being ever on the face of the earth who had a reason to be bitter, Mm -hmm. it was him. Right. Absolutely. And yet he chose not to Mm -hmm. be bitter. And so every time you or me, anybody listening, chooses to trust, chooses to grow, chooses to try to be what God wants us to be in the spite of our bitter circumstances, we're also choosing to be like Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping we're also crying out to him for the strength in order to make that choice well. Yeah. And one of the amazing things about later in Hebrews 12 is how that passage talks about God disciplining us to become more like him. Well, and that's a topic that doesn't receive a lot of attention, I don't think, in evangelicalism, is the issue of God's loving fatherly discipline in our life. And that is the connection point between what the writer says about Jesus in Hebrews 12, 3, and what we eventually get to in the middle of the chapter, chapter 15, about bitterness. The intervening verses are all about God's loving fatherly discipline. And what's important to understand is that's not in a punitive sense. Because if we just talked about Christ, it couldn't be in a punitive right. sense. Right. 
I, I think one way to define God's fatherly discipline in that particular passage is it's everything that our sovereign God is allowing into our life to help conform us to the image of Christ, even though it may be painful at the time. And that's why the writer says, and it's one of the understated passages in the Bible, no discipline for the moment seems joyful. <laughs> no kidding, yeah, clearly. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get my hand in the air on that one. But, but afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so if I respond to God's fatherly, loving discipline in my life in a way that moves me toward him instead of moves me into bitterness, I can have, and it's interesting, the peaceful mm -hmm. fruit of righteousness. And that tells us something else about bitterness. Mm -hmm. It's generally anything but peaceful, right? It ends up creating arguments with people and fights with people and disagreements and distance from people. It's anything but peace. But when I respond to God's fatherly discipline properly, that can result in a peacefulness with me and with others. As I've meditated on that passage in Hebrews 12 about the discipline of the Father, it's helped me to go into hard situations hopefully more humbly to say, what is God trying to do right now? How can I participate with him? Mm -hmm. How can I become more like Jesus willingly instead of being squished into that in a painful way? So it's given me a lot of hope as I've just said, that's my biggest desire is to be like Christ. Yeah. So if this is the context that God is choosing it, then I'm going to walk with Jesus in this process and not fight against it so much. And it is so interesting that that's the context of then the passage on bitterness, all right in that same Absolutely. area. Because who doesn't want the peaceful fruit of righteousness? Mm -hmm. And who wants the putrid, I don't even remember exactly how you put it, <laughs> putrid is all that's in my head and it's disgusting. <laughs> and I'm like, and yet, how often do I think the discipline is going to end in something worse for me? Mm -hmm. And if I can vent my bitterness and get people to agree with me, that's where the peace is. Like, I'm so twisted mm -hmm. and wrong in that. And so I love that that's all in the same passage, that I want the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And the Lord knows the best way and what's best for my soul. And apparently right now it's whatever is the discipline mm -hmm. that he's allowed. And I know that because I know his heart. And so I think all of this assumes that we're growing and understanding, as you said earlier, his fatherly love, mm -hmm. that that's the heart behind whatever he's allowed. Yeah, the challenge is, and it's what's encapsulated in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. Yeah. And we just need to face the fact that that's not a compliment. And that's why he goes on to say, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Mm. My ways are higher than your ways. And so that's why I don't want to be sovereign for 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. Because if I were sitting here, I had the keys of sovereignty for 60 seconds. I promise you, everybody at this table would be a whole lot wealthier. You'd never have a health problem. I mean, it, right? It would be, you'd have a yacht. I mean, it, it was 60 <laughs> seconds, and I could load us up for sure. And I'm also pretty sure that five years from now, every one of us would be less like Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Yes. That's why I don't want to be sovereign. It would be good. It would be one really <laughs> great Christmas morning. I promise you that. And it would ruin us spiritually. Yeah. And do we believe that? So back to the belief. Mm -hmm. you know, yep. Do I yeah. believe that? Because it's so true. To the degree I believe that, I'm not going to resist mm -hmm. the circumstances and the discipline that he is putting in my life 
because he wants to produce that piece. I was just thinking the same thing, like how deceived we are into thinking that what we believe outside of the scriptures is what will actually make us happy. We're so quick to not believe that God's word is true. So for somebody who really wants to work out of this, they want to grow out of bitterness. Are there any Bible characters that they could study that would help them to think about this more deeply or even resources that you think would be great to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think the two that come to mind are the ones that we've at least alluded to quickly. But to do a study on Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth, it's a short book, but it's just so power-packed for sure. And then also to do a study on Esau, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I think what I said in the book I wrote was he's the poster boy for bitterness. And I really do believe that. It's a sad tale. But we need to study that book, and yeah. um, or we need to study that story and just ask ourselves, is there any vestiges of Esau in my heart and life? And then also what I mentioned earlier, that, that book that Mark Vrogrop wrote mm-hmm. on um, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, there's also now a study companion guide that oh, goes cool. along with that. I just cannot say enough about the impact that that book has had on my heart and life. I don't think I knew enough, nearly enough, about lamenting, hadn't thought about it much in my own heart and life, hadn't preached on it much. I'm I'm just so glad that Mm. God worked in Mark's life. And as you read the book, you find some of the personal reasons, things that were going on for he and his wife, which certainly bitter circumstances Mm -hmm. that were the context in which he wrote that book. But I just, I recommend it in counseling all the time. Yes, we both love that uh, book. And so I would strongly urge your readers to to pick that one up. So we will link that and certainly your book, Steve, on overcoming bitterness, because if you enjoyed this conversation at all, listener, a lot of that and a whole lot more is in the book. So we do recommend that. We'll also link, you've done some lectures at our Biblical Counseling Training Conference that you can buy audio Mm -hmm. for. So we'll link those as well, because those have been very helpful. And we're also going to link the podcast that you provide, Biblical Counseling in Action, for those who might want to learn more about biblical counseling as it applies to life in the local church. That is wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Steve. Again, this is a topic we can all relate to more than we wish, but it's also a topic where there's a lot of hope. And so I appreciate you bringing us to that point and giving us hope that we really can overcome it. So listener, thanks for being with us. And we hope you'll come back with us for our next episode on this journey. To keep from missing any future episodes, please sign up for our newsletter on our webpage, joyfuljourneypod.com. From there, you can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify. You can also visit us on our Facebook page or Instagram at Joyful Journey Podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can also email us at joyfuljourneyquestions at outlook.com. Joyful Journey Podcast is a ministry of Faith Bible Seminary. All proceeds go to offset costs of this podcast and toward scholarships for women to receive their MABC through Faith Bible Seminary.